Okay, folks, let's let's start. Does everybody have a um, bonus back here? No, yeah. two. Two, four days ago. Bonus back, all right, there's another one. Another one. Yes, right. Awesome. Hi, everyone. So glad uh, you're all able to be here for this uh, class with Rabbi Silver. Um, just uh, if you weren't registered beforehand, um, just make sure to come find me afterward just to make sure everything's great. Um, and yeah, enjoy. Okay, I don't know all the names, but I'm very bad on those names, but I hope to learn the names. But it's been about Latin, you know. You don't have to know Latin. At least should should have uh, should have forgotten. So, um, so the um, let's basically learn the name. Maybe I make you guess some name. Okay. So um, these are two sessions on the prayers of Rabbi Yom Kippur. Um, two sessions also on on Rishana and two on Yom Kippur. Uh, Yom Kippur service. We're not going to cover the whole service of Yom Kippur. And the uh, hand that I gave. Is from the the Ashkenazic service. The, the core. Um, I actually haven't studied the um, Sephardic. Uh, the many different Sephardic practices. Spanish, Portuguese, is one. There's many. Um, the core of the davening on the Shishanayu on Yom Kippur is the same. The core pieces are no different than what Shishanayu on Yom Kippur. All of the various practices have the identical core pieces. You know, there are certain distinctions about emphasis, what exactly is said, etc. We'll, we'll touch upon that, but it's very important to remember. So what we're looking at now and next week is relevant no matter where one prays on your Kippur, this is all relevant. Okay, so I gave a photo stat of parts of the Kol Nidre service, which is the, of course, every night of Yom Kippur, leading into Yom Kippur. Kol Nidre is reciting before Yom Kippur. And I just wanted to begin with that, with some uh, thoughts about Yom Kippur and actually that which reads into Yom Kippur. Now, the, um, the biblical verse, which I think has uh, spurred a lot of the discussions in the Talmud and elsewhere about Yom Kippur, is the verse that's found in the book of Vayikra. In chapter 16 of Vayikra, the Torah there as a description of the atonement service of the high priest. That description of chapter 16 is also the Torah reading for Yom Kippur Day. Yom Kippur Day, we read about Yom Kippur, and this service at the end of chapter 16, the Torah says that this service is to be performed on Yom Kippur. Um, this is found in chapter six, this translation, page 246. Um, it's um Baitalachem Kukatolam verse twenty-nine. Bachodesh Ashvi Basola Kodesh uh Taliwat Nafshot Dechem. Um Bikom Lakalo Tasu, Hazrafi Agarakotochem, Kibayomaze Kapelachem with the Heret Kem before Katotechem, if they are shem titalit. So it says on this this whole service. Is to be performed on the day of Yom Kippur. And this is the uh, reading on Yom Kippur morning, and this is essentially the one of the central pieces of the service in the Musaf of Yom Kippur in the day, which is essentially a a, a reenactment of the service of the high priest. 
we have very few examples in our tradition. There's virtually no, maybe one other example where in our service we actually reenact something. We're hard pressed to find another example where we reenact it. And on Yom Kippur in the daytime, it's called the Avoda, there's a reenactment of, this, of a complicated service of the high priest. This is the Torah reading of, of the morning of Yom Kippur. Then the uh, other reading of Yom Kippur comes from the, from the Maftir. And the Maftir talks about all the sacrifices that are brought. And um, that's found on page uh, 352. Um, Just one second. I'm referencing the what Christmas spell was simply what is what are the what are what are the readings of, of Yom Kippur? Oh, oh, in this particular JPS, but I don't have it. This is the Parshat Achrimot, and the other one is in Parshat uh, Parshat Pinchas. These are the Torah readings. So this is the service of the high priest. Now, the Torah says, I'm searching for this verse. The Torah says that uh, on Yom Kippur, in addition, the Torah speaks of Yom Kippur. It says that you are to, to, to afflict your soul on Yom Kippur. Um, and it says that the, on the 10th day, you are to afflict your soul. And the verse, which I'm still not finding now, is this. On the ninth day of the month, and in the evening, from evening to evening. Where's that verse, evening So the Torah speaks of, it says, from, from evening to evening, it says, from the ninth day. The ninth day in the evening, until the tenth, right, until the next evening, you want to cease from any work. So we have to afflict that soul, and we're not allowed to work on this day. But the Torah said a strange thing. It said on the ninth day in the evening, until the next evening. Now, given the fact that the rabbinic understanding is that the day starts at night, so what does it mean the ninth day in the evening? The ninth day in the evening is actually the tenth day, assuming that the biblical day starts at night, which by the way is a very good question. That verse sounds like it doesn't start at night, actually. But at the general day starts at night. Like, like, like we would say, I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, right? You say, what time? What do you mean? 8.30, 9 o'clock, 9.30? You assume when you say day and have harmless, that you mean the morning. Even though technically speaking, the day starts at 12 after, one minute after, after, after midnight. It's already the next day. But we don't think of it that way. We think of the day starting in the morning. And in, in, in an agricultural society without electricity, the day starts at dawn, basically. So the ninth day at night probably probably means, I think, and this is a big question, that in the Torah, the Torah generally speaking thinks of the day starting in the morning. That's my belief to be true. The ninth day at night means the night that follows the ninth day. But you have to start fasting from, from then. So in terms of Yom Kippur, it actually starts at night. But in general, it presumes that the day starts in the morning. But the rabbinic understanding is actually not that way. 
rabbinic understanding is given the fact that we know the day starts at night, what would it mean to say that you start not working from the ninth day at night? What's the ninth day? So there the Talmud has various uh, opinions about what it might mean the ninth day. And one of the opinions is very interesting, actually they're all pretty interesting, but one is that the ninth day means that you have to add on to, to, to the holy day. The idea that we are familiar with, called Tosefet, that you add on to the whole sacred day, which is a very interesting concept, for example, on Shabbat. Right, you, you start Shabbat before the sunset, 18 minutes before.
Tubov was a day which all kinds of good things happened and then people make Shidduchim and everything. And the other is Yom Kippur. So the Gemara says, Mishlov of Yom Kippur says, I understand Yom Kippur is a happy day. Of course it's a happy day. It's a day of the day of deliverances. But why is Tubov a happy day and we give seven different reasons? So the Mishnah says, there's no happier day in the year than, than, uh, than, than, than Yom Kippur. But what do we do on Yom Kippur? We are afflicting our souls. We're fasting, but we're afflicting our souls. So Rabbi Salavet should make the argument that the idea of the festive meal before Yom Kippur is actually a way of deferring, in other words, or, or, or preempting in this case, the meal you should eat on Yom Kippur. The festive meal you should eat on Yom Kippur you eat before Yom Kippur. And I and Rabbi Salvechik actually made the same point about, about, about Purim, about the fast of Esther. When you read the Megillah, it's a pretty frightening little book, you know? It's a very scary book. It's about a world in which God is completely absent, or appears to be absent. It's run by very bad people, and there's evil words in every turn. And yet Purim, we are commanded to be very joyous on Purim. So on the day before Purim, we have to fast day. The fast day actually is maybe the fastest we should do on board. We, but, but we're commanded to be joyous, but we are joyous. We push the fast day to the previous day. So, Purim and Yom, and Yom, and Yom Kippur actually have that in common. But the, the reason I mentioned that is no, that, 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 that's not the reason. The reason I mentioned this is because, apart from the festive meal before Yom Kippur, you see in our tradition. And Eric Yom Kippur has a special status. And I want to mention two, two things about Eric Yom Kippur, apart from the meal. The first thing that's very interesting about Eric Yom Kippur is that the common practice of the Jewish people is that in the service before Yom Kippur starts, which is Mincha, Mincha is a regular Mincha, the night of the day of the month. But we have the practice of saying Bidu. We have in this, in this, Silent Amida. Meaning that every Yom Kippur, most synagogues take prayer early, two in the afternoon, three in the afternoon, multiple other times. And in that service, there's actually Bidu. Bidu is confession. <coughs> and Bidu is one of the three main pillars of the Yom Kippur service. There's a long Bidu, there's a short Bidu, the Ashkenazi Rite, and different Sephardic Rites, they also have Bidu. Some of the words may be different, but the concept is the same concept. So you see, right, that Eric Yom Kippur, same people, it's very strange. See, there's something about the day of Eric Yom Kippur, that day of Eric Yom Kippur, many, Tisha B'chodesh, Thomas said. And the rabbinic understanding is there's something about the ninth day of Yom Kippur that is related to the themes of the tenth day of Yom Kippur. That is one point of one. The second point about Eric Yom Kippur, we'll get to Kol Nidre in a minute, but often Yesterday, again, for people who weren't there yesterday, I mentioned it again. There is a common practice that just before Kol Nidre, we are saying people, there's a confession, not that said publicly, but there are private confessions that are written specifically for just before Kol Nidre. These uh, several Sephardic, there's one very beautiful one that I, I like very much by the, uh, by the uh, Ibn Ezra. I mentioned this yesterday. Spanish and Portuguese has a very particular, you know, it's uh, 
very particular surfaces. Yes, they have it. What do you know? The Chai leads to shoot that day. How it starts? The Chai leads very different tools to it. I mentioned yes, there's one by uh, by one of the brothers, Eud Banai, who sings the testimony of himself, too. And he sings pieces of this. The Chai leads to shoot that day. It's very, very. Very powerful people. Anyway, and that is the fact that in the yeshivas, actually, they typically say it differently. Well, it's Filozaka. Filozaka. Anybody see Filozaka yet? Yeah. It's not written for men. It's not written for Maybe the predecessor was real, but I was using it. So I think it was correct at first. But anyway, the point is um, the interesting thing about Tfilo Zaka is the following. Tfilo Zaka is the following. And during the course of the previous year, it's very good in that metabolistic way. But every time I sinned, I created angels. I said, uh, what do you think of that? It's the angels. I said, I like it a lot. What? So I said, yeah, it's very important to point that way. Point is simple. When you do something wrong, you create reality. It's a reality. You can't change that reality, actually. I'm very sorry if it's something. I feel bad about it. I feel bad. The problem is I got 50,000 dollars in the next room. What do I do with these destroy, destroyed angels? That's the idea of the Philosophy. Then there's Yom Kippur, with the understanding. Talk about forgiveness and you mean it. Who cares, actually? You didn't mean it right. But at the end of the day, you did what you did and you create reality, and you never take it back, actually. It's out there. Nowadays, with the internet, it's so true. You're right on the internet. If you get it, it's it. It's done. Cyberspace. You never get it back. Which is a million people, you don't know which is. So you have to be the Um, is the uh, the annulment 
of vows that were taken in the previous year. I made, I, I took a vow, an oath, a vow, whatever. And at the time that I took it, I thought I could actually do it. But I recognized at the time that actually it's a vow that I actually could not fulfill. So the, our tradition says that you can go to the court and you can give your reason. And it, if it's a reasonable reason, the court can actually allow the vow. That's called Hatarat and Darim. The point of both, that's what Pomidre is. It's not actually in the formal sense of court without addressing the court. It's more ceremony. <laughs> the ceremony in which reflects the practice of Hatarat and Darim. That's why typically you are free people and people free the court. That's the idea of this. There is another view of Rabbeinu Tam who argues that it's not actually a knowing about the previous year. It's what's, what is called, according to Rabbeinu Tam, the great uh, medieval uh, French commentary, Russia's grandson, and it's um, kind of modal. Modal means a statement I make today that what I do in the future will not be valid. The issue I, I know it's something for the future. That's called the Mogdah. The truth of the matter is, that's Rabbeinu Tav, he's a minority view. The truth is that the standard Kholnidre text is all mixed up. Because the standard Kholnidre text talks of the past. All the vows Kholnidre did made in the past. Then it says, Yom Kippurim Zeh, Yom Kippurim Avol which makes actually zero sense. Even from this Yom Kippur to next Yom Kippur. That sounds like Rabbeinu Tav. I'm knowing what I'm going to do in the future. But the, the language of the Aramaic is all in the past tense. Some people, some people say, Umiyon Kippurim Zeh, doing both, whatever it is. That's what happens sometimes with text, that whenever people say it, and sometimes the mistakes there, but we say in any event, that's funny. And this is, as I mentioned yesterday, we all know this, one of the great highlights of service during the year. In fact, there's no question that more people go to the Pornidre service, more Jews go to the service than any other service. More than, more, more than the Ewa, more than Rosh Hashanah, that's when Jews come out of Pomidre. So the question is, what is the um, power of Pomidre? I mentioned a little yesterday, I want to repeat what I said and add some things to Pomidre uh, about what it's about, and about Yom Kippur. And we'll start with this. Yom Kippur is not like Rosh Hashanah. It's very different from Rosh Hashanah. One thing, Yom Kippur is well attested in the Torah. The Torah it speaks about Yom Kippur, it says what it is. That's a whole chapter devoted <coughs> to the service of Yom Kippur. If we read Yom Kippur morning. Rosh Hashanah, by contrast, the Torah says virtually nothing about Rosh Hashanah. What does the Torah say about Rosh Hashanah? On the seventh month, on the first day, a day of Chua, Yom Chua Yerachem. A day of whatever Chua means, cry out, sounding something. Never, Torah never uses use for the children, Rosh Hashanah, by the way, doesn't it? But Yom Kippur, what does it mean? So basically, who knows? I mean, I have a suggestion of what it means, but we don't really know for sure what it means. And that's why the Torah readings from Rosh Hashanah don't mention Rosh Hashanah. They're from, they're from Genesis, Reshit, Hashem, Pachal, Nasara, Yakeda. Doesn't mention Rosh Hashanah. And the Haftar doesn't mention Rosh Hashanah either. Tana, Rachel, doesn't mention. There's nothing in the Bible, really, that talks about Rosh Hashanah. But Yom Kippur is very different. Yom Kippur is very explicit. The tone is explicit about Yom Kippur, chapter 16, Elmore, Pinchas, it says what 
So that's the difference from Rosh Hashanah Kippur. Another difference is that Rosh Hashanah, when you come to the prayer book, the text of Rosh Hashanah is biblical verses. All biblical verses, be from the Torah, the Psalms, prophetic writings, another one from the Torah. It's all about biblical verses. And Yom Kippur is not about biblical verses. Yom Kippur is about what we call Torah Shabbat. Yom Kippur is about not the Torah that God gives us, but the Torah that we study and we come to our own conclusions. And we are starting, as you enter into Yom Kippur, you start with Kol Nidre. Because Kol Nidre is the best example that we have in our tradition of a rule that overturns what the, what the Bible seems to say. And the ones who make this point very clearly found in the Mishnah. Eten Nidarim Orchim Bavir, that the Mishnah is Vagiga, the ability to annul vows floats in the air. There's no basis for it. By that they mean no basis because when you read the Bible, it's obvious to anyone who reads the Bible that fundamentally, if you take a vow or an oath, you can't get out of it. There are situations, one situation where somebody got out of an oath, but he didn't mean to get out of the oath. The people wouldn't let him fulfill the oath. One example I can think of in the whole Bible, Jonathan. The Saul takes an oath to kill his son, Jonathan, after Jonathan brought redemption, chapter 13, 14 of First Samuel. And it's, Saul said, what can I do? I took an oath, I gotta kill him. And the people said, how can you kill Jonathan? He saved us. So they saved Jonathan, he didn't die. Saul would have killed him. So the point is, when you read the Bible, you say, say something in God's name, you, you gotta fulfill it. So we start Young Kippur by saying, that's not the way we understand. We understand that we have, we, beings have the right to overturn something that was said in God's name. And by and by and by implication, if we can overturn something said in God's name through our own initiative, maybe we can also overturn something decreed by God in terms of ourselves, God's judgment. That can also be overturned. So it starts with Kolnitri. And here we have the Kolnitri text in front of us. It is after you get to the first page, the second page, where it says reader and congregation, so there's like a little corner up there that represents the people. And then we have a verse on the top of page 491, which is taken from the book of Bamid, or chapter 15. 491. Next page, just turn the page on top. Everybody has a copy? Right. It says, Yisrael. Okay, so this is Burnham or something. His translations are very not precise. Anyway, he translates, May all the people of Israel be forgiven, including all the strangers who live in their midst, who all the people are in fault. So the translation, by the way, if you didn't know what it means, you would never figure it out from the translation. It doesn't mean they're in fault. It means they means that they sin by accident. Not, they're not in fault, actually. But the point is, what does Benislach mean? What is Benislach or Chorodat for the Israel? So it has two possible meanings. In the Torah, it doesn't mean we shall forgive. Benislach, in the Kurdish, it's a, it's a person. It's the person. It shall be forgiven. Benislach, and the sins of Israel shall be forgiven, or they acted Bishdagah. They didn't do it willfully. They did it by accident. Not 
not willfully, by, by, by error, by error, the shogay. The Torah seems to say that when the entire congregation sins, God understands that to be, when they bring the sacrifice, that God looks at it from the standpoint of, if everybody does it, the same thing, it's probably just a mistake. That's chapter 15 of the book of Numbers, and it follows chapter 14 of the book of Numbers. And what is the story in chapter 14 of the book of Numbers? It's the story of the uh, robbery, spies. They are sentenced to wander in the desert. Book 15 has a whole set of laws related to the story of chapter 14. So for this lot means it's the passive, it shall be forgiven. But for this lot in Hebrew can mean something else. Nislah can mean we are forgiving. The plural, we shall forgive. So here in Kol Nidre, actually, I think, it's playing with the word Nislah. The court gets up and says, Kol Nidre, because it's interesting, when the court annuls vows, and the, the Torah says, when the, when the husband annuls the vows of his wife, which is different, Vashem Yislachwa, God will forgive her. God will forgive her, means in the Kumish, I think, when she doesn't fulfill the vow, God will forgive her for not fulfilling the vow because the husband has annulled it. He prevents her from fulfilling the vow. So that's the, the word slicha appears in the context of, of, of the vow. In the Chumash, it's not the court, it's the husband or the father. But here, it seems to be the court stands up and says, we shall forgive, we, we forgive, we, we, we determine, we the people have determined that Forgiveness is in order because it was not done with balance. It was done to shrug up. And then, right after we cite this verse and play with the word benislach, the reader says, the reader, the cousin says to the congregation, he cites the verse. It's the verse. Forgive the sin of this people according to your great mercies, great kindness. And now, as you have borne them from Egypt until now. Now, where is this verse from? Who said this verse, by the way? Who said it? Who said it to whom? What? Moshe said it to God. When did Moshe say it to God? Very important. When? That's true. When? No. After the sin of the spies, it's chapter 14. You are right about Diego, by the way. God said the same thing to Diego. Now we'll get to Diego. Diego is the story that lies behind Yom Kippur. God said the golden calf and Yom Kippur, they're bound together. But the story of the spies, another great sin, which is chapter 14. The previous chapter, the two verses here. The first verse is Numbers 15. The second verse is Numbers 14. Moshe said to God, after the spies, they say, we reject the land, reject God, forgive them according to your great kindnesses, as you have borne them until now. And what did God say to Moshe? By Yomer Hashem, Salachi Kitmarecha. Now, the, 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 the genius of the Yom Kippur service, actually, is by Yomer Hashem, Salachi Kitmarecha, the service actually conflates the two things. In other words, it starts with Benisla. It starts with Hataras Nadarim. You have this little court that gets up. And the court saying, all the vows and all those obligations you took in the previous year that you wanted to do, but as human beings, we often don't 
we got worried because we don't understand the situation properly. Those are all forgiven. Benisra, we are forgiving you. And then the Chazit says, let's cite the verse of the story that appeared before chapter 15, chapter 14. Golden care, that's what golden care despise. And Moshe said to God, forgive them as you have put to your great kindness. By Yogur Hashem, says God, I forgive them as you say. But in the context of Kol Nidre, it followed the previous verse for this line. The court gets up and says, we are forgiving the people. By Yogur Hashem, and God, and we say, you know what? If, if there's justification for forgiveness, then God will ascend. So Kol Nidre is about God's ascension, ascending, ascending, right? God is setting with the T to what we have determined. So what that speaks to actually is the power of the human being. Court is, is us basically, but the power of the human being to set things right. That it's of course we understand that and elsewhere this appears very prominently that forgiveness is an act of grace. As I mentioned before about Tilazaka, what do I do with the fifty thousand angels? You know what I mean? means with the reality you have created. You can't actually undo that. You have to deal with it. You can't actually completely ever undo it. But you can change the future. And sometimes you can change the past also in the sense that the past becomes the impetus for changing the future. That you can do. But it's, you know, but, but, but you, what is done is done, basically. And it's the, the idea over here, though, the focus of Omidre, that's the power of it, is on one hand, we have the opportunity, you know? But on, this, on the other hand, we also have the great responsibility. I remember talking about Grisha for a moment, just thinking about the Tzavah, I think. Grisha actually was the main vehicle for changing opportunities for women to study Torah. That was the main vehicle. It was everything that comes in this world, virtually everything, directly or indirectly, that's just the way it worked. By the way, it wasn't planned out by me 40 years ago either. It happened, but it really wasn't planned that way. But the, one of the points I make, always in a closed room, with no men around, that's a, when I talk to some women, I say, you know something? If you have an opportunity to study Torah, then a lot of responsibility comes with that too. And it's, it's a sad state of affairs, actually, that when a woman does something, she represents the women. Because the men don't represent the men, they represent themselves, you know? But the reality of the world, the reality of the underused world, is that there are responsibilities that come with opportunity. So that's the power of commentary. On one hand, we're saying, you know, something, our fate is in our own hands. But if our fate is in our own hands, then we have the responsibility to try to make it better. And that's a very frightening thought, that's a powerful thought. And that's what commentary actually, as we enter into your different, They set aside to think about the past, try to correct something, don't correct everything, one thing. That's the thought. That's the, that's, 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 for me, of course, we say Shetty Yard is very powerful. Yes, someone want to say something? Yes, yes, yes. Do you see the harm that it's important to uh, uh, discuss the past and the future? Right. 
think it's assumed. I think the, 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 the perception that we make, and they give to us about them, which is Yom Kippur is the day of. By the way, Yom Kippur, yes, the answer is yes. That's what I was suggesting. That God is ascending at the end of the day, forgiveness. And if you talk about forgiveness, forgiveness is actually is, 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 is what requires divine, it requires divine forgiveness. But the assumption that we're making is. And if we are able to be in a place that we are worthy of forgiveness, God will in fact give us. That I think is, yeah, I would say that's, that, that is the case, yes. Yeah, yes. Is it a big deal what I said about the past? Saying this, according to what you're doing, and it's about old yarn, not yes. future. Yes, yes. Right. What I'm saying is that you can change the past in the sense, I'd say. Right. It's the sense of, in other words, the point is that the idea of truth, I think, is if I'm if I see myself presently in a good place, okay, how did I get there, actually? fact of the matter is, and we can talk about this a lot, not that I have any great wisdom here, I don't, but the fact of the matter is, that my own experience is, we say people should, we, we, we want to learn, we want to correct ourselves. My experience in life is, I have met very few people that are able to learn from their great successes. There are some people who learn to correct from their mistakes, but to learn from your triumphs and successes is very difficult. The fact that is that the mistakes, the errors, the sins, or whatever, can be very useful to us in terms of directing us in a proper. We did something, we turned out very poorly. We, we are committing ourselves not to follow that path again. We are committing. Sometimes we make the same mistakes a hundred times, but okay. So in that, in, the extent that the past can be is positive in the sense that my mistakes have directed me to a better place. That I think is true. The point I was making is that the idea that what you did is, you know, when David says about Uriah the Hittite, after he had him killed, you know, I have sinned unto God. When you read it, you say to yourself, I think, well, I'm glad he feels bad about it, and maybe in the future he'll, he, will, he will act better. But that doesn't bring our, our friend Uriah back. Uriah's gone. And the situation with Uriah and his wife and everything else, and David does pay a terrible price for that, but you can't actually change the past in that sense. On the other hand, having learned from that, you can see yourself differently and you can behave in the future in a very different way. So to that extent, I think that's, that's what I was suggesting. Yes, absolutely. <coughs>
very good point. That is true. That's, that's somehow connected by Yitzhak Moshe. Uh, they're doing different interpretations, but one of them has to do with undoing God's work. And we have that twice. You have it with the Golden Bear story, and you have it with the Spy episode. And you'll give the service the place to do it, as we'll see shortly. Um, okay, yes. Confession is related to uh, repentance. 
confession is the act of repentance, speak the act of repentance. And there are different confessions that we are saying on Yom Kippur. In the Ashkenazic rite, is what's called the short confession and the long confession. The short one is Oshamnu Bogadnu Gazalnu, the act of repentance. And then the long confession, Alchait, which is a double double alphabet, and it uh, spells out even more specifically, it's much longer. Those are confessions. They are central to every service of Yom Kippur. And we even say a vidui, a short vidui, before Yom Kippur starts. That's one thing. The other piece of the Yom Kippur service, which is very central, I would say the most central, and this is very interesting from a lot of perspectives, is what we call silicone. That we are the Selichot service, which we are familiar with. We are familiar with the Selichot service before even before Rosh Hashanah starts. But the Ashkenazim, the the Eidot Mizrach, the true Sephardim, they start saying Selichot for Shkodesh Elul, and they say longer Selichot, and there are many different ones, and it's been woven out very beautiful. And they have, let's face it, they have the great poets. You know what I mean? They have the people from Benapoli, the great poets, most Sephardim. Gabiro, Ibn Ezra's, Judah Levi, etc. So we have every answer how we are. We have adapted it differently. In any event, so that we call Srikot. But the truth of the matter is that's a custom. The Ashkenazim start Srikot Saturday night before Rosh Hashanah for four days. And if it's early, Rosh Hashanah, like this year, is on a Monday or whatever, we start the previous Saturday night. That's the Slichot service. Now, what are, what is the Slichot service? Because the primary Slichot service is actually for Yom Kippur itself. If you look at any authentic, let's, let's, talk, let's talk about the authentic traditions. Authentic has been around for a long time. So there are Jews that are the, carry the authentic traditions. There are two kinds of Jews who carry the authentic traditions. What is the Eidot HaMizrach? Because it is so far like the genuine, I'm not talking about Nusach Hashem, This place, I assume, carries the authentic tradition. And there are other Sephardic places, like Morocco, Iraq, doesn't matter where in Yemen. And they have traditions, unchanged traditions, and they are authentic. And the, with the word of the Ashkenazim, we have our friends, the Yekis. The Yekis are carrying, they don't change anything. They don't change anything. And what they are saying was said a thousand years ago, and they have the authentic tradition. So here's the point. The authentic tradition, without question, this is not even a debate, this is just a fact. On Yom Kippur, the five services of Yom Kippur, Slichot is to be recited in all five services. Now what is Slichot? Slichot, at its core, is Hashem Hashem Kelachim Bechalon, that formula we call the 13 attributes of God's mercy, to give them we don't, okay? That is to be recited, Yom Kippur night, Shachris, Musaf, Mincha, and Ne'ira, right? Now, we are reciting Hashem, Hashem, Kerach, and Bechad, and there are different customs, how many times you say that expression, and we, before we say it, we say something else, a poem, whatever, things written, beautiful, we don't just say them over and over again, we, are saying to you. And not only to you, but generally speaking, when they say the Ashkenazic right, I think it's true in all of them, is one field that is primary. And it's often recited responsibly. 
And then there were, there were all kinds of, there's a whole world in this, there were all kinds of, uh, of pieces of liturgy that are written for Selichot. For example, it's what's called uh, the, uh, we should have a whole course on this, but there's something so interesting, and it's, I'm, I'm not an expert in it, but I know something about it, but, but there are experts in it. The, uh, the uh, Akedah. The Akedah, there are many different poems written about the Akedah. And they are recited often in the Slichot. There's a question, where are you saying in the Slichot? There's different, different opinions. But there were different, and they're different poetic styles, and different, you know, the way they're written, and the rhymes, and that, etc. There's a world of these things, but at its core, it's Hashem Hashem Kerachun Bukhanun. And this Hashem Hashem Kerachun Bukhanun is found in the Torah, in the story of the Golden Calf. The Yom Kippur that we are repeating over and over again, we are reminding ourselves of the episode of the Golden Calf. In fact, in fact, um, in this in this handout that I gave you, it's page five thirty nine. The first time I can say Hashem Hashem Kelachim B'Chanun on uh, on Yom Kippur, it's introduced by a little paragraph. It's the bargain say over again to the paragraph. Variations. It starts with El Melech Yosheva Kusei Rachamim. Everybody sees that 539? El Melech Yosheva Kusei Rachamim. Midnight. God who sits on the. God who sits. God is a king. Not only in Rosh Hashanah is God a king. God is a king on Yom Kippur too. The theme of kingship is also Yom Kippur theme. But the, the, the throne of God on Yom Kippur is the throne of mercy. God is behaving with kindness, Hasidut, a forgiving God. God who uh, asks the sin, takes away the sins one by one, etc., etc., and then get to the fourth line. El God, who taught us to say these attributes of mercy. We call for us the covenant of mercy. I'll get to the covenant of mercy in a few minutes. The covenant of mercy, as it is written, as it is informed, the honor. The modest one, who's the modest one? Moshe. Huh? As you told them, Moshe, right? We can them earlier on. Early on, you, you inform Moses. It's Moshe Katub, as it is written. By Yerud Hashem Be'anan, God came down the cloud. By Yitiatsevi, Moshe stood with him there. By Yikrav Hashem Hashem, and called out in God's name. By Yavar Hashem Apanav, and God passed by Moshe and called out. He called out, whoever he is, not clear. That takes place, that story takes place after the golden calf. It's when Moshe is trying to get God to forgive the people for the golden calf, and not just to forgive the people, but to allow what? What, what, is, the, what is the context of the golden calf in the Torah? And the great significance of the golden calf? It's probably the most important story in the Torah. Enter the land is yes, but even before that. When Moshe builds the Mishkan, See, the golden calf takes place. Moses goes up the mountain to get some more rules and some instructions how to build the temple, the tabernacle, the Mishnah. When he's up there, people grew up making a golden calf. So he comes down, and when he sees the people, first he prays for the people, and then when he comes down, he sees the people dancing around the golden calf. So what does he do? He breaks the tablets. And when he breaks the tablets, what does it mean? What is the great significance of breaking the tablets? That has many significance. When you break the tablets, 
You can't build the Mishkan. Why not? Because the tablets are the work of God. Everything else in the Mishkan, you can iron off the back. It's good. But the tablets, you can So when he breaks the tablets, that's the central vessel of the, the ark, it's the central vessel of the Mishkan. It can't be a Mishkan because God can't live with us. God can't dwell with us. And then begins the process of reconciliation. So in order, but there are no tablets. The Moshe is praying to the people. Moshe wants God, the people want God to dwell amongst us. That's what your kid is about. And then when God agrees, right? What is God? When God says, okay, this is my attribute of mercy. This is the God that can live with you. The other God can't live with you. It's God of justice. You can't survive with the God of justice. It's the God of mercy you can live with. And of course, concomitant with that, of course, he gets the second tablets. Because on the second tablets, you can't go to Mishkan. So the context is, of the golden calf is the reconciliation. And once you get the tablets, you can build the Mishkan. Our, our calendar reflects this, by the way, right? Because Yom Kippur is about reconciliation. And once you get, once you have Yom Kippur, then, then we're able to build the Mishkan. What is the holiday on the calendar that represents the Mishkan? Sukkot, of course. Sukkot is the Mishkan. So the point is, Sukkot is Sukkot. It's called tabernacles, by the way, in English, right? So they, they, well, they understood it, but it's a profound truth. Plain meaning of the temple of the total, without question. Our, our tradition understood it very well. So Yom Kippur precedes Sukkot, actually. It was a custom, by the way. Right the night of when Yom Kippur ends, you start building the Sukkot. Very, very powerful custom, you start building the Sukkot. So the point is, the story we are recalling over and over and over again on Yom Kippur is the story of the Golden Calf. So let's say, for example, Kolidre service. What happens on Kippur night? So what happens on Kippur night is we start with Kol Nidre. Yom Kippur hasn't started yet. That's before Yom Kippur. Now Yom Kippur is here. Fine. Shnechiyano, we say, right? And now, what happens? So what do we do? So the first thing we do is we are praying the, the evening prayer. Like every 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 holy day, every day we have a Maru. So on Yom Kippur night we start. We have this very beautiful Yusuf. We have Shabbat Shalom. We have Yusuf. The Ashkenazi was glorious, and then we have right. It's uh, it's uh, and then after we have a what happens after we pray Maru service on the night? Slichot. We are saying slichot. We say slichot. So so beautiful. It's beyond belief. Now, how do we start? How we? I don't know. How do we Ashkenazi? So if you're not Ashkenaz, what time is it now? 11? Uh, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12, 12,
I don't know who could probably take this. I think it's uh, that no, Darius. Anonymous. I don't. I don't think we know. Yahweh Nachmanu is a backward alphabet, right? It starts with the word Yahweh. We have prayers to send May Eretz. If you look at the little text over here, you notice that the first line ends with the word May from night. The second, our cries should go to be Boker from the morning, and the third is Ad Erev until the evening. So the way it's structured. Structured like this, it's a, it, it's a conflation of two different phrases from the Torah. The first is the phrase that we began with this uh, morning, which is "Be'erev Erev, from Erev to Erev, from evening to evening, and that's how it starts. Erev, and the third line is "Aderev, Be'erev Erev, right? So, but then you have also, in addition to "Be'erev Erev, you have "Be'bokir Erev. From the morning until the night. So from the morning, right, it's me Erev Ad Erev. So line one is me Erev. Twice is Ad Erev. Me Erev Ad Erev. Keep both your Ad Erev. So what is the idea of the structure from basic a meaning over here? What is the meaning of me Erev Ad Erev versus me both your Ad Erev? So me both your Ad Erev is taken from a different part of the Bible. Me Erev Ad Erev is the scripture of your Kippur. Me both your Ad Erev I'm quite sure, to a story that we have in Parshat Yitro. When Moses is sitting in judgment of the people, he sits by himself. And Yitro, his father-in-law, says, Why do you sit by yourself? Why are you alone? And all the people stand in front of you, from the morning until the night. The Bokirat Erev is the time of judgment. So the way you started Yom Kippur, actually, you're starting by saying the following. Judgment in general, the court doesn't convene at night. The court convenes in the morning, right? The court does not convene at night. The judgment starts in the morning. We, we are saying on Yom Kippur, we're starting early, we're starting the Slichot earlier. We start the Slichot at night, but the judgment, in order to preempt the judgment, because the judgment's only in the morning, but the Slichot, the, the, the past repentance, they are studying the Erev and Erev from the night. This is how we begin. That's number one. And then, the second interesting feature of this little poem, Yalatah Kumeinu, is this. And this is actually a very important point. Which is, it starts, Yalatah Kumeinu Me'erev, V'yavosha Avotenu Mivoker, V'yairah Rilunenu Erev. So the first three lines begin with the word Yalatah, and the second is V'yavo, and the third is V'yairah. So Yahweh V'yavo V'yairaya is almost identical to the prayer we call Yahweh V'yavo. It's Yahweh V'yavo V'yagia V'yairaya. Now what is the significance of that? That this is at the front of Yahweh V'yavo. Let me just explain. This is actually a very important point about this young people's service. You have to understand the structures. Then we'll get to the deeper, hopefully deeper understand what today's about. As I said in a few minutes ago, the correct, authentic tradition, without question, is that Slichot are recited five times in Yom Kippur. Night, morning, Musaf, Mincha, Nehila. When you look at the standard Ashkenaz prayer books, Birnbaum or so, you will see for yourselves and most of their books that you only find Hashem Hashem, Kerachim, Bukhan, and two prayers on Nidre night 
and of course the ego. We have many. But for Shachrit, Musaf, and Mincha, the, the, the heart of the Srichot has been removed, and what remains is the end of the Srichot service. They chopped out most of the Srichot service, but they left at the end of it. For example, in all the five prayers, we are saying Shvachorayim. Shvachorayim was the end of Srichot. So the choppers who chopped out that, they chopped out both of the of the Srichot. So it's Chorachamecha, which is the end of Srichot. So how did, how, how did this happen? It's a very good Why did it happen? How did it happen? Bolshevik talks, and he's pretty much talks about this. He, he, he cries about it. Terrible thing he says. It's crazy. How happened this thing? It's going to destroy the whole structure of the prayer. But that's true. It's a big problem. Some places say Srichot. Rabbi Salvation says Srichot. Actually, when you see it, it's so obvious you have to say it. It's just missing. What's he saying? Anyway, but that's not our problem right now. So let's say the ego. When when do you say the Sriqa? For those that say Sriqa in Shachrit and in Mincha and the Ewa, they say it always in the same place. It's always recited. It's recited only in the repetition of the Shmonasri. And it's always recited at the Yala of Yavo. And it's actually very appropriate to be recited at the Yala of Yavo. Because Yala for two reasons. For Yala of Yavo is the prayer that talks about the sanctity of the day. But secondly, Yala Biyavo talks about God remembering. And it ends, the end of Yala Biyavo, right? It ends have mercy on us, be gracious towards us, Rachem Oleinu, have kindness, Rahoshienu, Yewecha Eimenu, we look for you, Yel Melech, Chanun Barachum Atta. For you are of God who is Chalun and Rachum. Now, Chalun and Rachum are the first two descriptions of God in the 13 attributes. Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum, Bechalun, right? So, Chalun Barachum is the perfect lead in to Slichot, which is why that is the lead in to Slichot in the Ewa. And for those who say Slichot in Shachrit and Nineveh, it's also the lead in. In Muslim, it's not the lead in. There is no, no Yalav Yavu in Muslim. And Muslim is a different medium, I'll get to that maybe next time. But the point is, so what do you do at night? <laughs> because at night, there's no repetition of the Shmar Esme. The Shmichos are always recited when you repeat the Shmar Esme. But in the evening service, there is no repetition. There's no Yalav Yavu. So what do we do? So we, so we, so we make up a Yalav Yavu. Yalav Yavu. Is a made up Yahweh Yahweh. And the point is, it's not just a clever point, it's a very deep point over here about Yahweh Yahweh, which is, it's a custom to say Srikhot earlier in the month, but they're not part of the day. The Srikhot of Yom Kippur are different. The Srikhot of Yom Kippur are the fabric of the day. The day is about Srikhot, that's what the day is. Why you say that the Yahweh the It's a sacred day, but the sacredness manifests itself as a day of repentance, as a day of petition for forgiveness. So therefore, when we started to say Slicho, which is the night of Yom Kippur, after Marie, we start with Yahweh Tachbulayu. And there are actually many beautiful I I, I grew up with very good by the way. But actually very good.
that. They, they were the Chazal, but they were actually the doctors. They came out of the camps that they were the full survivors, and they became the doctors. By the way, that's the only way to learn how to doctor. There's no other way to learn. From a lecture, you're not going to learn how to People who actually pray, you know what I mean? It's amazing. So, they did a very beautiful Nusuf, and then many beautiful Nusuf the hour. It wasn't saying, we didn't sing as a sort of champion, but it was very, very, very powerful. This is the introduction to Sukha. Now, the way it works on Yom Kippur night, okay, after we say Yala, which is the introduction, we are about to say Slichot, and then we are, this is the introduction, and then we are saying poems, and after the poems, we are saying uh, Hashem Hashem Kelachim. That's how it works. There were three poems of the Ashkenazi of Yom Kippur night. And the third one is the one that's highlighted. They're all very beautiful. The third one is the highlight, and it's typically decided responsibly. So what is the highlighted is known for um, the Yom Kippur night? Very beautiful. I mean, we have it here. It's on page. You don't know what it is. They don't know what it is. Utine Kachomer. You have Utine Kachomer on page 537. This is what's called the kids' ball. The ark is open. That's usually the side. The ark is open. It's inside of the side. And there is, this is a very good example of a, of a Gizmon. There is a tagline. So there's a, there's a, in each of these paragraphs, it speaks about ourselves. We are in God's hands, that's what it says. In God's hands. There's always a tension on Yom Kippur between on one hand, we can do it, we can, we can make the changes necessary, and there's the other side of it. So Still need God's grace because at the end of the day, we can't change the past and we also are limited in our understanding. But we need to ask God for forgiveness. And the tagline over here is about three top eight, three top eight, three Look at the first line. You see, line number two. Look, right? Here the translation Need thy pact, need not the accuser. So here is actually very interesting. What did he love to do? What, what covenant they look, this is a covenant. Look towards the covenant and don't look like by Yetzer, I would say that accuser, the, the our 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 inclination. Our inclination to do what's not right. So the point is that Rabrita Bay refers to a verse in the Torah when Lord after the golden calf. It's all based on the golden calf. After the golden calf. Uh, Moshe appeals to God. Well, you got to forgive them. He's going to dwell amongst us. And God said to Moshe, stand in the cleft of the rock. Look right at Zor, and God appeared, passed by, and cried out, Hashem, Hashem, Kerakum, Bekanun. And when that happens, chapter 34 of Exodus, Moshe says to God, Yeruch no Hashem, Please walk amongst us. We, we need your presence. And God answered Moses and said, Behold, I established a covenant. 
Bilei Alohi Koreyakrit. The composer of the song, of this poem, which sits straight out, is referencing it, was, was the Ki Hilei Kachomer, or really Ki Hilei, right? It picks up on, on, the, on the dialogue. Moses said to God, Ki Amkshay Omerfu, for they are stiff necked, and we need your presence. That's key. And God's answer was, Hilei Alohi. So key, the key was Moses and the Hine was not the sons, and the tagline is about three. So what is the common? So the plain meaning of the Torah, I think, I think Ramban says this as well, that the plain meaning of the Khumish is that when God says, I establish my covenant, what God meant was that Moses had broken the tablets. The tablets are called in the Torah. They represented the covenant. When Moses breaks the tablets, he's saying, in effect, he's reifying the reality that the covenant is broken. And now, when he gets the second set of tablets, the covenant has been has been renewed. So, behold, I established my covenant. Probably means in the Torah that the old covenant of Sinai is now fully uh, in force. But the rabbinic the rabbis had a different understanding. Probably saw that an additional understanding that Brit is understood rabbinically to mean not that I renew the covenant of Sinai, but I establish with you a covenant about these attributes. That whenever you say the attributes, you can rest assured that I'll take it seriously and there's an opportunity to, to reconcile with God. So the Kihinei Brit on the night of Yom Kippur. I presume it refers to the second understanding. In the context of reciting these attributes, we recite the attributes with a sort of certain confidence. You need a certain confidence to, to engage in independence. You think it's hopeless, it's, it's, it's difficult to. You have to have some optimism that it could work out. So that's Kihine Kachomer. Don't look at our weaknesses and our inclinations. That's the that's the that's the that's the response. And then, of course, right afterwards, we once again say, "Hashem, Hashem, So that's the Yom Kippur night. Many tools to it. Yes. That's right. So it's, so, so it's, what? Right, the, 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 the assumption of Yom Kippur, okay? That's how, that's how it's done. The Guinness is possible, the Nisra, that, that's the Nisra. That's the power of Polidre. power of Polidre is that it's not up, no matter wherever we may be, that's, that, that's the hopeless. Not to give up, not to sort of accept the reality of it is, we maybe can change, it's possible to change reality. That's the power of polygamy, and that's, that's the introduction of the Yom Kippur. Because if you think that you can't change anything, not to really too much on your Kippur. You have to believe that there's a way to change something to the good. Some possibility, this whole enterprise, and this whole uh, experience has a potentially a value to it. So that's the, that's the, that's the Slichot we are saying on Yom Kippur night. Now, what's very curious, actually, 
I mentioned there were two main pillars to the service of Yom Kippur. There's a third, which is the reenactment of the service of the high priest on Yom Kippur that we must be up over next week. But right after we are saying Sneikov, afterwards, right afterwards, and we get to the next day, which is Bidu. We are saying Bidu. We, we, the confessions, this is actually very interesting if you think about it. I would say it's counterintuitive. Because let's say, for example, those who have gotten Nusfar, the Ari, or the or 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 a Dota Nusraf. You know, the Dota Nusraf and the Israelites is a common practice. That every day, in the regular plain old Babylon, every single day, there is a practice that after Shona Esle, before Dachman, they say you give me dot. Shamnu, Magadu, Gazalnu, etc. Probably do it in the synagogue too, I imagine. Yes. And then afterwards, every single day, and Mincha also, every day, they say one, and they proceed it with a Shabbat. That's the practice in Israel. Everybody, any traditional service in Israel says that. So that's actually very interesting if you think about it. No, every single day of the year. Every day of the year. Every single day of the year. Right after Shabbos and Mincha. Over any Israeli city, you'll see it straight out. But my, my point is not to talk about what they do in Israel, and they do it, I'm sure you see that also. I would guess that he's saying here as well. But I make you a different point, which is that the practice of saying every single day of the year twice, Hashem Hashem Kerachum Bachadun, after they say Hashem, is exactly the opposite order of what we do. We do what they do makes perfect sense, actually. In other words, the practice, first you say, I'm very sorry, I made a lot of mistakes and bad stuff. That's me doing. And then do me a favor, forgive me. That's That makes sense. What we are doing all of Yom Kippur is very odd, actually. Because we are first saying slichot, first we're saying slichot. And only after we say slichot, right? Then we are saying, one might have expected, as is the practice, normal practice of every day for those that say, so basically, maybe it's related to what I said before, I was thinking. I mean, the, the idea of it, I mean, I'm deep up here, but the idea is that you start the person Slichol before the reading. So the, the idea of Slichol is we are reminding ourselves that forgiveness is actually possible. We have a promise, right? We have a promise of forgiveness. Okay, once I enter into this with an understanding that things could work out, then I start confessing. If I feel it's hopeless, what's the point of confessing? I, I did wrong, but it's not going to take me any place. So the, the idea of Ariel Kippur, at least, our practice is first to say Slichot, which talks about asking God for forgiveness, but presuming we can get forgiveness. And after all, God said, whenever you get in trouble, you should say this formula. But we say the formula, okay? You want forgiveness for what? And then we spell it out what we want forgiveness for. That's what we are doing all of your Kippur. We do appears, by the way, even the, even the people that chopped out the Slichot, 
for whatever reason, Goldschmidt has two theories about why they chopped it out and chopped it out. And they didn't chop it all out either. They left the chocolate, which makes no sense. But anyway, but if we do, we have all of the, all of the, all, all, all the five grams. The difference is, and this is very interesting, that for the Ashkenazim, we have a long beat and we have a short beat. The long one is al and the short one is Ashkenazim. And we say al all the words, except, except there's one time we don't say al on Yom Kippur. All that is? In the Iwa. In the Iwa, we don't say al we do say Ashkenazim. But we don't say al and instead of al khayt, there's a different reason. It is the main prayer of the Iwa. By the way, it's very important to understand. Let me, let me say the two things about, about the Kippur. First of all, it's always a good thing to understand in any discipline, I don't care what it is, what is central and what is peripheral. What is the heart and soul of the prayers on Yom Kippur? The heart and soul is, I told you what it is. Sweet hope and breathing is the heart and soul. Now, Context is the broader context of the standard prayers. But the, the structure of Yom Kippur and the structure of Shabbat are basically the same structure. Seven blessings. Most of it could take four hours, but it's the same structure. Three blessings in the beginning, three at the end, and a long thing in the middle. But it's essentially the same structure. What's unique to the Yom Kippur are the Suichot and the Vidyan. That's unique. So that's, that's a very important point. But the recitation of Suichot which most people don't say it's three of the five uh, prayers. It's not the Hashem Hashem Kelachim Botanim. It's the thousands of poems that were written for the Slicho and what these poems convey. By the way, I would say the following. Let me say two points about this and I'll have to stop today. The um, Goldschmidt thinks, by the way, that the reason that people Slicho disappear from the, from the the average prayer book, you know what happened. But Goldschmidt thinks it's one of two reasons. One is, by the way, if you, anybody's ever gone to the Yankees, the Royals, before, I had never been there. I know people that go there, and probably pay to what they want to see what they do. It's like really interesting, you know? So they, they say Sliho poems. They don't say the same poems every year, because there are hundreds of them, actually. And they send out, before the holiday, they say, they send out a notice, actually. These are the Slichot we're going to be reciting this year. It's interesting. They send out the notice, the poems that they send out. So first of all, Goldschmidt, Goldschmidt, uh, look, we make great, great uh, critical work on the Daniel Goldschmidt. So, he suggests that since they didn't have it, they didn't want to print up all the different things they're going to say, they would write into this, into the, into this, into the boxer, Khan Omrim Slichot. At this point, you say Slichot, but it wasn't printed in the book. That was the death knell of Slichot. Once you don't print it, that was one theory. The second theory he's got was that the reason they stopped saying Slichot is, given the time constraints, with the advent of the professional chazan. So the chazan was now a paid performer. And you hire someone to do a performance, you know what I mean? You know, they gotta do a performance. So it's like, like if someone's singing the Star Spangled Banner in the Super Bowl. 
just to say, you know, so that the value who's going to do that? You pay portion of the money to put it before it. So the Chazalim didn't have too much to say about Sulaiman. Sulaiman talked about the other story. In the Olimi Mas, you know what I mean? That's their big pieces. So that's what they were doing. So Sulaiman fell by the wayside. That's another theory that Goldschmidt has. He doesn't like the whole thing. He gets very angry about this. How does this In any event, why are they actually important? Well, what is the value of the Sulaiman? Apart from the fact that when you walk in a master, you can see straight up, it's supposed to be there. And any traditional person is bothered by this. But there's something else about the Srikhon that are very interesting, I think very important, if you study them. And that is, something to do with Yom Kippur. We think of Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur has five services. But here's the point about Yom Kippur. Here's the great, greatness of Yom Kippur. The five services are completely different. When I mean completely different, I don't mean that the words are necessarily different. Some of the words are very different. Most of very different. I mean the tone. <laughs> For midday night, there's a certain tone to it. Chakras is a different tone. Musa is the great drama of Musa. Different. Mincha, which is a very precious prayer, is completely different. Standard Mincha, you have a different sense of yourself, brought your limitations and failings. And the ego, which is the last opportunity, sense of desperation. Each one is different, and it's this, the, the poems composed to them reflect that. They're different poems which are intended to, to give us a sense of what this day is about. It's not just the five services, it's different. If you say Slicha from Mincha Yom Kippur, Mincha becomes a very, very, very special prayer. Very special, and it carries with it a certain range of ideas or feelings. But that's what's missing. If you study the Slichov, and you have a certain sense, you know, there's a different sense. I mean, it's, it's very nuanced and very complex. Walking to Shul on the Olivier night, say the Slichov, there's a different feeling. A certain serenity to it on the different night, like it's very tranquil. And Muslim is not that way. Muslim is the great drama the high priest is entering the holy homes. Is he going to escape? Is he going to enter an escape? Is he going to walk out alive? So dangerous. And then he comes out the joy of being an old reenactment. It's actually a, it's a reenactment. It's very special. So each prayer is different. The morning has a Christmas to it. It's very different. So that's the value of the Srikov, which unfortunately in many places are not said. If you don't say that, it pays to study them at least to understand what they're trying to get out of this. This day, which is amazing. Did anybody not come out alive? Did anybody not come out alive? I don't. Did anybody not ever get out alive? I don't know. Because the Talmud speaks about the, 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 I'll say two things. The Talmud speaks about the, 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 the corrupt priest who didn't make it to the next year. That speaks about. And we have the famous story of Shimon Atzali. Shimon Atzali went, went into the Holy of Holies and walked out and he said that next year I'm not, not going to survive the year. How do you know? Because every year that we walk into the Holy of Holies, an angel would accompany me. And this time he was dressed in black. And the, the, the famous story of Shimon Atzali. So there, there is there's all kinds of, but from the Daven you can see it. Larry Cohen, the joy there. And the, 
the 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 avoda, which we get to next time. Avoda, he will talk about this. It's not talking about, but there are many avoda. There many there many avoda. Okay, the standard Ashkenaz avoda, I mean Torah. I think it's the work of the supreme unit, but it's complicated. It's amazing, amazing poems. The the older poems that they say, for example, here for sure is Atakolanda. Rabbi Salvation said 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 he liked Atakolanda. He said Atakolanda. He didn't say Amitzkoach. So it was older and more and more simple and whatever, different kind of beauty. But a different avodo. But the Amitzkoach, as it, when the holy Godel walks out of the holy of holies. There's a crazy and amazing description of the of, of the joy. He's, he rejoiced that the world is the world is singing actually when he walked out. It's incredible. Where is it? The the Avoda? No, where is it written that um, it's amazing it's a poem when he walks out? Yes. It's a poem, we'll see this next week. But the Avoda is a Muslim. Right. It's the Muslim because the Muslim talks about the sacrifices thing. Right. So in that context. You have a long reenactment of the service of the high priest, and when he comes out of that service, it's written with an alphabet. And it talks about how he, you know, how the joy that he has, the people have the world, the world is singing and rejoicing. That's in the mountain. In the mountain. Yeah, that's that's one of the central pieces of Yom Kippur. But the two main pieces of Yom Kippur are the Slichot and the Rebbeim. So let me just what's the second sentence? Next week, what we'll do is we will look at the Avoda. Get the whole thing, it's very interesting. I want to look at the Ewa at the, at the, at the, at the, at the, at the confession of the Ewa, which is but very, very central. And then we'll discuss some of the other features. Yeah. I take on it, it is, it's very, it's very rich and complex. But Midrash in general, which is, which is basically Isaac's prayer. Isaac, Isaac, is, the Midrash prayer is identified in that tradition with, with Yitzchak. He goes out in the field before the evening. The sense of Midrash in general is a sense of insufficiency. Insufficiency. When we're praying a second time, because the first time is not good enough. Something still missing, is something about me that's still problematic. The idea of working on yourself, the idea that the human being is incapable to some extent of arriving at perfection, he keeps working at it. Those kinds of stuff, that, that sense, the sense that we barely truly require God's help to make things right. Now, that's what Isaac represents. So it's something about, it's a whole range of things, but it's, it's, it feels very different. It's not, a, it's not a prayer of confidence. It's a big focus on faith, I would say. Dependence on God, faith, working, working to improve oneself. Um, it's very inner directed, I would say, as opposed to outer directed. It's all of those things. It's a whole range of things. And the, the poetry around Sriho tries to pick that up. Tries to pick that up. So it's something to think about. And then your giving becomes a different day. Just the warm jersey repeat things. It's always something new on your kipper. That's what's incredible, really. Every prayer is so different. Really, it's able to, it really addresses the whole person, all the different pieces of ourselves. Yes, what do you want to say? So, I got to stop there. What, that was one? Yes.
One minute. Okay, go ahead. That's true. That's very true. It's a good point. So we said to me a very nice point that even in the daily service that we have, right? We ask Hashem but just before that, the blessing is that we we talk about God wanting repentance, which means God wants repentance means that the possibility could actually work. And then only when we say it's not one We'll continue next week with the with, uh, more about Slicho and about the Avoda and about the